A good haircut can be a game changer. I mean, everybody wants to look their best for those social media pics, right? So get yourself to Sport Clips at Sport Clips Haircuts. They hair do like no one else hair does. See what they did there? Not only is it the home of champion haircuts, but they've also made relaxing and unwinding the name of the game. Level up your haircut with the MVP haircut experience. It's a spa day for your follicles. Check this out. You get a seven pressure point massaging shampoo along with a perfectly steamed hot towel all while sports plays on the TV. Does it get any better than that? No. You can want it all and have it all at Sport Clips. It's a game changer. I know you have heard this before. Work smarter, not harder. Ford has heard it too. That's why the Ford F-150 truck helps you get the job done in the smartest way possible. I mean, the pro-access tailgate alone is a game changer. It improves access to the bed and cargo, which makes it easier to load in tight spaces. See? Smarter. It's also got a mobile power source in Pro Power on board, so you can power up to 7.2 kilowatts outside your F-150 truck. That is definitely working smarter. And imagine what you can do with that power at your next tailgate party. Tough this smart can only be called F-150. Find your local Ford dealer at Ford.com. Pro access tailgate available starting spring 2024. See owner's manual for important operating instructions. So I'm here with Holly Madison. Uh, so much to talk about, and I'm super excited for the Playboy murders. Um, so let's start about start with this right now because it's so interesting. Just how many, and, and sadly, how many topics there are to discuss for this show. Yeah, there were just so many people in the Playboy world. There were so many Playboy clubs where women worked as bunnies and so many people who posed for the magazine over the years that when you look into this vast group of people, you find stories like this. And so many of them were so intriguing to me. Some of them I heard about back when I lived at the mansion. Some of them I had no clue about. Some of them involved people I met. So I was really interested to dive deeper and learn more about it. And a lot of the stories are unsolved, too. So I love getting those stories out there as well. I mean, you think about some of the big ones. That was actually even like a mini series about Dorothy Stratton that mm-hmm. I watched. I know that's one of the topics that you discussed. Is that kind of like one of the more more famous, quote unquote, stories that, that you guys delve into here on the show? Yeah, I think that's the most famous case out of all the ones we cover. And we really wanted to figure out how can we learn more about this case or hear from people we haven't heard from. So we do interview a woman who was Dorothy's roommate at the time who lived with her and her husband when the tragedy happened. And I've never seen her interviewed before that I can remember. So we were really lucky to get that and just tell the story in a new way and talk to people who knew her and how special she was. Do you find like for the show, because you're involved, that you get more access because Holly Madison is involved? So you kind of were there and kind of know a little bit more than if it's just some random television producer calling these people? Maybe. I think so. And I think, you know, providing my perspective as well, just about the world and what it was like living there is really helpful too to paint the whole picture of what some of these people were going through and what they experienced. Tell me about some of the other cases that you talk about this season. Well, we covered the first story we covered that we opened the season with um, the Playboy Connection is a woman named Sandy Bentley who lived at the mansion right before I did. I remember seeing her and her twin sister at the first party I went to, and I just thought they were the best looking, most beautiful people I'd ever seen. And a few years after I moved in, one of Hef's friends at the dinner table was telling me a story about how that woman's boyfriend was tragically killed. He was trying to sell some jewelry um, kind of under the table because 
Sandy'd been given a bunch of gifts by a guy she was dating who was kind of a Wolf of Wall Street type character who was using other people's money to buy all these things. And tragically, he and his best friend who he was out with got killed when they were trying to make that sale. And it was just such a crazy story with all these twists and turns. I remember him telling me that and saying, you know, you can't even write stuff like this. Right. Like one day this story is going to be told. It's so intriguing. And that one's still unsolved, too. So I love sharing these stories because hopefully if somebody knows something or wants to come forward or remembers something, maybe one day we could get answers. Well, yeah. I mean, and, and like you said, you put a spotlight on some of these some of these girls and some of these women. I mean, I imagine for yourself being so successful from Playboy and kind of your whole life, there were so many girls that weren't successful and kind of had tragic endings or maybe their lives didn't turn out the way they wanted to. I mean, is there a lot of pressure when you're in this world, when you first come in? Yeah, for sure. And it could really go either way. I even say like when I lived there, even when you're talking about female friendships, it's two completely different sides of the same coin. Like in some ways it's a sisterhood and you make some of the best friends you've ever made for the rest of your life with some of these playmates. But then there's so much pressure too. It's kind of this high stakes environment where there's potentially so much to be gained by being the favorite or succeeding or winning this contest or winning playmate of the year that there can be a lot of crazy rivalries too. So even when you think about something like that, it's so two different sides of the same coin. And as far as the way your life could go afterward too, it's the same way. Like so many people were able to use being and Playboy is like a stepping stone and mm -hmm. onto better things. But then sometimes, you know, people were less fortunate and unfortunately were involved with people who were really jealous and that took a wrong turn or attracted the wrong kind of people. So it's definitely when you're dealing with a high stakes environment like that, you definitely get a lot of really extreme stories on either side. There's not a lot in between. It's interesting to me, you just brought something up of talking about being like Playmate of the Year, for example. Mm -hmm. Was that all completely decided by, by Hugh Hefner? Yeah, it was his choice at the end of the day, but he very much wanted to give the prize to the reader's favorite. So they would do a reader's poll every year where people would vote online. And before online, it used to be like a 1-900 number. People mm -hmm. would vote for their favorite playmate. So he usually would give it to that person if somebody won by a landslide. But there would be times he would have a favorite going in and it wouldn't just matter, you know, how beautiful you were because everybody's beautiful that year. A lot of it would matter like, how does this woman handle herself in front of the camera? Mm -hmm. Is she going to be a great representative for the company? Is she going to be able to go out and work these events where she has to talk to all these different people and like handle herself in a certain way? It's really like a brand ambassador. It's interesting because being in, in pro wrestling, it's kind of the same thing. It's like you have the boss, the, the guy mm -hmm. who runs the company yeah. who kind of decides this person is going to be the champion because they go by what the crowd is doing and how the reactions are. But it really boils down to to the audience of one more than anything, which yeah. then breeds a lot of competition, like you mentioned. Oh, absolutely. I imagine there must have been a lot of parallels for sure. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Let's talk a little bit about, about, about your time there. I mean, there's so much to discuss. How did you end up kind of moving into the into the mansion? I was a regular guest at the mansion. I started going to the big parties because those were the really cool parties in town everybody wanted to go to when I was in college. Mm -hmm. And then I got invited to the fun in the sun pool parties, which were much smaller, more intimate. I talked to Hef a little bit. I talked to some of his girlfriends and they would invite me out with them. But I didn't really have the courage to do it until I realized one day I was about to be homeless because my roommates were moving out. And my lease was up and my credit cards were maxed out and my credit sucked and all that. So I thought, I'm going to give this a try. And I ended up getting in quite over my head. But at the time, you know, just based on what I knew about this person and his girlfriends from what I saw at like pool parties and things like that, I thought it seemed like a great idea. 
you know, I, I went there twice and, you know, like you said, you go into the, it's such a big intimidating place. It's the Playboy Mansion. Mm-hmm. You go in yeah. and I remember there was like one house type of a big place. And I thought, well, that's okay. And then I realized that was just kind of like maybe like the guest house sort of, and the real house was kind of yeah. back there and it was like a thousand yards wide. And it's like, yeah. oh, okay. I see what's going on now. Totally. Yeah. It was a really, it was a big property. It was about six acres in the middle of LA, which is a lot for LA. And right. th- there was a zoo on the grounds. Just, it was like this wonderland. And the grotto, of course, the famous mm-hmm. grotto. Yeah, going sure. in there and kind of check it out. Go <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you moved in there, how many other girls were living there at the time? There were six other girls. So living with seven women total in one house was kind of crazy. There was a lot of competition, a lot of backstabbing. And eventually we narrowed it down to just three of us. So that was a lot more manageable. And that's when we started doing the reality show. So things were a lot more calm with less women involved, I think. And when you live there, are you like officially have girlfriend or are you just can you live there and not be his girl? Like what are kind of the rules that were in play? Uh, for the most part, if you lived at the mansion, you were half's girlfriend. Sometimes people would stay there. Playmates would stay in the guest house when they came out to shoot their pictorials from around the country or around the world, wherever they were from. And sometimes, you know, if playmates would make friends with the girlfriends and they wanted a place to stay for a little while and they were fun to hang out with, they could stay there. But for most of the part, if somebody was living there full time, they were girlfriend. And so what kind of were your responsibilities, you know, in the house? Do you have to do anything or clean anything or what is what's kind of the jobs that you have to do no no cleaning or anything (laughs) like that but we were expected to show up for so many events because so much of this relationship for hef was also pr you know he wanted to be seen with seven women on his arm at all times so we'd have to be you know dressed up and made up for all the events there'd be several events we'd go out to several times a week and there'd be like buffet dinner and movies on the weekends and pool parties on Sunday and things like that. So, And we weren't really allowed to work, which I didn't know was a rule moving in. But I found that out after a few months in. He was upset with me for like keeping a waitressing job, which seems silly. But there were a lot of rules. There was a nine o'clock curfew, things like that. So it was definitely something to get used to. A nine o'clock curfew, like you had to be back at home by then? Yes. I remember one time I was coming back late from a photo shoot and Hef was still like doing card night or something with his friends. And I was like five minutes after nine and the security guard was all stern with me. And does Mr. Hefner know you're out? And I was like, oh, I'm just five minutes late. Wow. And what, and what are you like, 24 years old or 25 years old or younger, yes. maybe even? Yeah. I was 22 when I moved in and I was there for seven years. So I definitely wow. gave me a little bit of arrested development, I think, because I sure. went there straight from college and you're living in this kind of weird environment with all these rules and a curfew and you're not really pursuing a career or, you know, friendships or dating like an ordinary 20 something. So I feel like I'm a little bit behind. Yeah. I'm 44 now, but I feel more like 34. I can more yeah. relate to a little bit younger. I still, I still look 24. So you got Thank that. Thank you. You're very sweet. <laughs> How old was he at the time when you moved in? He was 76 when I moved in, 75. So what do you guys like talk about with such an age gap? Like, was he a good conversationalist and understanding kind of the ways of the young people or or kind of how did that work? Kind of. Well, he's a very charming person, very good at making people feel special. He has a way of kind of making everybody feel like they're the favorite, especially when they're new. That's kind of how you get lured into the thing a little bit. And for he and I, like we did have a lot of common interests. He was a really big 
film nerd and I love classic film. He would show classic film every weekend. Mm -hmm. And I loved even being down at the dinner table and talking to all his friends and stuff like that. So we had a lot to talk about. And for me, I'm a late diagnosed on the spectrum, on the autism spectrum. So I always had a little bit of trouble connecting with people my own age, a little bit of trouble making friends. So when I meet somebody who is so charming and who is so good at making you feel special, I kind of felt like, well, maybe this is what I was meant for. Maybe I'm supposed to be with an older person because I could never really connect with guys my age that much. Mm -hmm. And now looking back, I know that I'm just wired a little bit differently, but I can see how it felt that way looking back. Well, sure. Especially when, like you say, you're about to be homeless or whatever it may be, and you move in there and everything's at your disposal. So I can see Mm -hmm. that would be part of the charm of it. Like this guy's just got everything and he's interesting and can talk to me about things. And that would probably, like you said, lure you in, right? Yeah, absolutely. In the beginning, it seemed like a very safe space and like a very safe place. I thought I was going to be there for a couple of years and then move on to whatever my next thing was. And it just turned into seven before I knew it. And so when you say you couldn't work, and that's interesting too, like you're basically just existing in in the house. Mm-hmm. So there's no yeah. goals that you can achieve or anything along those lines. You just have to do kind of whatever he wants you to do. Yeah. And that was hard for me because I'm a very goal-oriented person and there were all kinds of things I wanted to do. And he was very strict as far as like not letting his girls work. He didn't really want to give them the same kind of opportunities as far as being in the magazine that he'd given to some girlfriends before because he felt like they kind of left right after that. Right. Eventually the show came along. He wanted to do a show. It was supposed to be originally about the staff of the mansion, but when E wanted it, they said they wanted it through the eyes of the girls. So he eventually let us do that. But I think it was more because he wanted the show and that's just what the network wanted. Mm-hmm. I'm not complaining because at the end of the day, it turned into an opportunity for me. So, All right. There are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW and not all of them speak English which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Eh, amigas, see, already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW, like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline, which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. When the show starts, full access of the mansion and all that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Was there any? Was there any any place that you couldn't go or anything they weren't allowed to film? Or what were Hef's rules when it came to that? Well, the girls and I banded together, and we were very big on the cameras, like not coming into the bedroom or seeing anything that looked like it was going to like 
lead to sex or something like that, which I think they kind of tried to do anyway. There's some scenes like I do a rewatch podcast now called Girls Next Level where Mm -hmm. my co-star Bridget and I, we talk about it and we'll get grossed out on scenes where they'll cut like somebody (laughs) shutting the door and then they'll have all these giggling noises after. And I'm like, I know what they're trying to do. But the three of us from the very beginning banded together and we didn't want to play into that at all. They were very much off limits when it came to half. He wasn't really in the show very much, especially in season one. They had to ask before getting into his room, which I shared a room with him. So if I wanted to be off camera, I could kind of go and hide a little bit. But I think for the other girls, it was the cameras were constantly knocking and wanting to come into their rooms. Other than that, I don't think much else was off limits. Even for the big parties, you know, there was an understanding with some of the bigger celebrities that they said ahead of time that they didn't want to be on camera you know, don't film them. The crew was advised, but there were always like signs outside the party. Like if you enter, you agree to be on camera and things like that. So there wasn't too much that was really off limits. That's the thing with reality TV too. You never know how they're going to edit it, right? Oh God, I know. (laughs) Nightmare. Yeah. I was going to say not a lot was off limits, but it was very heavily edited. So that's why I have a lot to talk talk about on my podcast. Now we, we like clearing the air and talking about what was really going on behind the scenes and everything. Is it fun to watch that back? Like you said, now, you know, 20 years later, kind of looking back at the show when you were just a kid. For the most part, it's fun. In the beginning, you know, Bridget and I had a little bit of trouble with it because we felt like our characters were portrayed a certain way that we weren't. And that can be kind of hurtful looking back on, especially when you've made friends with the producers since then and Mm. felt like they had your back. And then you look back with new eyes and you're like, whoa, they really did me dirty and threw me under the bus. So sometimes you'll see a scene that's triggering now and then but for the most part we have a lot of fun with it and there's just we're really grateful that the footage exists because even things like you know we had dogs at the time and this was like 15 years ago so none of those dogs are around now so even seeing like cute video of your old pets that you don't get to see anymore Mm -hmm. our first trip to europe and things like that that were captured on camera it's really amazing to have kind of like the best home videos of that so i complain about a lot about the show (laughs) but there's a lot of good stuff too so talk about the relationship. Oh, you mentioned like the characters that each one of you were portrayed as. Mm-hmm. So what, like, what was your character and what was, what was Bridges character and what was Kendra's character on the show? My character was very plain and boring, especially in the beginning. <laughs> I think part of that was because I was scared to be on reality TV and didn't really want to put my personal life out there. So I just tried to be as bland and by the rules as possible because I felt like people wouldn't criticize me if I was that way, which that didn't turn out to be the case. But So I was kind of like plain and boring and they kind of used me as more like the narrator to kind of explain things and explain how things worked in the Playboy world. And Bridget was more the one who was always like planning the parties and doing fun stuff. And then Kendra was supposed to be the comic relief. And we were very much pigeonholed in our spaces. Like we would each get frustrated over the years and feeling like we could only be one way and we could never be another way. And I look back and I'm like, but I was doing it like I was in real estate school at this time. And they never say that. I just Mm. look like somebody who's sitting around eating grapes all day. (laughs) So that can be a little frustrating. But so so Hef would allow you to go to school then? Yeah, schooling was fine, 100%. He didn't feel threatened by that. So I was taking a real estate investment program at UCLA Extension, and I took foreign language and things like that. That was a lot of how I found to keep busy. What was the relationship with between the three of you? I mean, obviously, I'm not even talking about just on camera, I'm talking about off uh-huh. camera, because, you know, there's three, all three of you are girlfriends. And I'm mm-hmm. kind of how did that work? And do you share? Do you hang out all together? How did that all go? <laughs> go. <laughs> there was never any jealousy as far as like, I mean, I had like a relationship with half and the other girls. It was more, I mean, from a non-sexual standpoint, if you take that out of the equation, it was almost more like a friendship kind of. So there wasn't really any competition that way. 
But there would be tension for sure. Like Bridget and I were always really close and on the same page. But because Kendra was so much newer than us, she was treated a little bit better. Because when you're trying to get somebody enmeshed in kind of like this cult-like relationship, you're always nicest to Mm. the newest people. Because then they want to stay and then they get involved and stuff. And there wasn't really a turnover during the show. So she was kind of stuck in this new girl position for a while and was like treated the best and like allowed to go out and do more things than we were. So that could get frustrating sometimes because you can't really blame the person for taking advantage of the opportunity. But it, you know, makes us angry if we're not allowed to do the same thing. So there can definitely be tension involved with that. And he liked to stir the pot a little bit with drama. And of course, the show did, too. So you know, we made an effort to like keep our heads above it most of the time. It's interesting that you mentioned uh, like a cult-like atmosphere, and I guess that's kind of what it is. If 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 mm-hmm. there's curfews and you can't work and that sort of a thing, when did you start kind of figuring that out that maybe you were kind of stuck in a in a hamster wheel, so so to speak? I saw that really early on. I wanted to try to make the situation better. You know, I really cared about Hef. I really knew being there was such a big opportunity or so I thought. And I really tried to make it work and better for so long. But I I mean, red flags were popping up right from the beginning. And I think for me, after being there a couple months and being told that I had to like quit my waitressing job during the day, that felt a little, a little much. It felt a little unnecessary, especially since, you know, when he told me that he got really worked up and it was like an unnecessary fight and things like that. So I can look back really far into the relationship and see the red flags. But I didn't really realize until I was ready to leave just how unreasonable that situation kind of was. And just this cult-like mentality everybody would get into, which I was a part of too. I was in that mentality as well. You know, this whole social world exists around one man and everybody really props him up and kind of thinks of him as this person who's above reproach in every way. You know, even now, if I talk about my experience or speak out in a way that other people who are involved in the Playboy world don't like, I've seen some women, you know, come out and just trash me in public and trash me online. And they'll go so hard for Hef. And I'm like, Girl, don't you remember he kicked you out? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People he full on kicked out are still like coming to his defense. It's just this weird culty thing. It, I just can't wrap my head around it. I guess it's almost a, a Stockholm syndrome type of a vibe, right? A hundred percent. I feel like I had that going on for sure. So what kind of prompted you to get out? Because you mentioned that you got there and you wanted to be there for just a few years. And then six years later, you're still there. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, you're almost out of your 20s at this point. So what was kind of the catalyst? It was a lot of things. I tried so hard to make the relationship work. I'd been working at the Playboy Studios, the editor directing the Playmate shoots for a couple of years. We were doing the show. So in a lot of ways, things were good. But there were a couple of things. One, I always knew I wanted to have kids and that wasn't going to happen there. And I was starting to like feel that urgency. But also something weird happened with Hef's mood. I don't know what it was, but he got like really over the top, kind of verbally abusive at the end. Mm. And it just felt weird and even weirder to me that it was happening then because I felt like I'd worked so hard on this relationship and done everything right and should have like built some trust and it just wasn't going that way and I just couldn't handle it anymore and I think kind of the final straw is me really just opening my eyes and realizing that you know the problem wasn't the other girls the whole time I'd always thought especially when there were like six other girls I'm like you know what things would be a little more chill around here and nicer if it just wasn't for these people but I saw some things where I witnessed him kind of like pitting us against each other. And I just realized that this person I thought I knew and thought I was in love with was kind of like something I'd created in my own mind. Mm. Yeah. So I just had to get out of there ASAP. When you make the decision, what's his response and kind of what do you do next? I'm sure it's probably pretty scary for you. 
It definitely was. I mean, we were on a TV show that was really popular, but I knew when I left, I would be off the show, obviously. And back then we didn't have social media like we do today. There was just MySpace. So you couldn't really like (laughs) run to YouTube and like keep your fan base engaged and things like that. So I was really worried. You know, I saved up a little bit of money and made investments. I was always very like conscientious that way. But career wise, you know, there were no promises. So I knew when I left, I had to hit the ground running. And it, it was difficult and it was awkward and he didn't want to let me go. And I felt like it was one of those situations where you kind of have to break up with somebody three different times. And for somebody who's non-confrontational, that's kind of rough too. <laughs> so that was difficult. And then, you know, leaving and then seeing like the way the show portrayed me leaving and the way half and the producers would talk about me like in the media and even like writing open letters on message boards, kind of like blaming the show ending on me, I thought was really unfair. But I was lucky I was able to hit the ground running. I started doing a show in Vegas and my own TV shows. So I was able to move on pretty quickly, luckily. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you were getting paid to be on the Girls Next Door, obviously, right? Well, we were after the first season. The first season, they didn't pay us at all because E negotiated directly with Hef and we were just kind of treated like the property. So he didn't want to pay us anything. And eventually I went to his secretary, who was a friend of mine. And I'm like, look, we're spending all this money to like buy clothes for the show because you want to look cute when you're on camera. And if they want you to throw a party for each other, you go into the party store, you're spending all this stuff. So it's like we're spending money to be on the show. And she's like, "Okay, you know, I'm going to say something. So eventually we got paid. And each season, the show did so well. It was the highest rated show on the network that we kept getting raises. So we did get paid eventually, yeah. This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. How was that for you when suddenly the show becomes such a big hit and you're you know becoming more of a, a household name? You mentioned because you have a little bit of autism and would that kind of mess with you a bit or? A little bit, but you know, my experience of it might not be what you expect because I was in such a bubble at the mansion and I'd been around half for like four years at that time. So anytime we would go out, he would get so much attention that we're still going out together and it still just feels like the attention is all for him. It doesn't really feel like it's for you or you're really known. Right. And then we weren't allowed to have like our own PR, our own agents or managers or kind of take advantage of anything fame that the show may have brought along. So I guess it was kind of like an imposter syndrome in a way where I didn't really feel more famous. The one thing I did notice and value was I felt like the show was an excuse for us to kind of like spread our wings and do things that typically he wouldn't allow us to do. You know, he ended up really loving the show and he knew that the show needed plot lines. So we would be allowed to maybe go do an overnight somewhere or like I could do a jewelry line or something like that, because if it was for the show, it was okay. So I really appreciated the show and that it was an opportunity for me to do other things and have it be okay in that environment. So you mentioned an overnight, so you couldn't even leave the mansion to go overnight to hang out with your mom or something that wasn't even allowed? No. I mean, a lot of the other girls could, they could do like a short visit to see their families or something, but the pressure as his main girlfriend was on me a lot. And there was a lot of like guilt and manipulation and always me feeling guilty and scared to ask for anything. So I didn't want to set him off or like make him explode or anything like that. Wow. So I really was not supposed to be away even one day. I think the first night I was allowed to be away was in season three of Girls Next Door. We did a snowboarding episode where we went to Vail and... 
I was allowed to stay away one night for that. But that was, I'd been in the relationship for like five years at that point. Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. That must have been really hard to deal with. Did you even realize it? It was hard to deal with in a way, you know, in the beginning when I moved into the mansion, I was just so excited to be there. I felt like it was such a unique place to be. And I didn't really want to go out. You know, a lot of the other girls, they wanted to go out to clubs and like meet other guys and stuff like that. But that wasn't really where my focus was at. So I was able to be there longer, I think, and have less frustration than maybe other people. But after a while, it gets to a point where you're like, well, I want to go like on a girl's trip or I want to travel or I want to take this career opportunity. And it started to get frustrating, especially when you feel like you're not earning any trust. Like I always felt like, oh, maybe he's been burned by somebody in the past. But, you know, I follow every rule to a T. So things will be different. And they never were different, really. But you mentioned that you got to go to Europe, though, with Mm -hmm. with the show. So that's obviously longer than one night or did Hef go with you on that? Oh, he was with us. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, he went with us for some of the bigger trips, but there would be like small overnights here and there in the last couple of seasons we could do. I mean, out of the seven years I was there, I was maybe only away from him for like four nights. It's wow. Crazy. Yeah. Wow. Very enmeshed relationship. <laughs> yeah, that's a good word, enmeshed, right? Yeah. Once you left and, and bro- did you ever have any connection with him, contact with him afterwards? Very limited. I had a spinoff show on E! And according to the contract I had to sign before I left Girls Next Door, any spinoff I did with E! had to be with the same producer who did Girls Next Door. And he was a very close friend of Hef's. So he would always try and get us to shoot like overlapping scenes, you know, between like my spinoff and Kendra's spinoff and Girls Next Door season six with the new cast. Mm -hmm. And I would do those here and there. That felt safe for me because a camera was in the room. It was a scene. But I never wanted to talk to Hef on my own. Like the producer was always trying to, you know, if we would have random business meetings or hang out one day, he'd be like, I'm going to get Hef on the phone. And I'm like, no, no, no. Mm. Because just my perception of him changed so much when I decided I wanted to leave. I just felt like this was a person who'd been kind of like fake and manipulative to me the whole time. And everything I'd seen that I liked was kind of like something I'd wished for in my own head. So I just didn't want to talk to him. I felt like it would be like talking to a robot because I knew everything he said would be designed to get a reaction or designed to like keep me on his good side and things like that. So it just felt so strange to me. How was it for you when he passed away a few years ago? You know, I didn't have any emotion about it, which people are always surprised to hear. And I know that sounds incredibly cold and weird. But like I said, when I left the house, I just realized that person I thought I knew that I cared about didn't exist. And when you're dealing with somebody who, like I said, kind of seemed like a robot to me at that point, like everything he says is designed for a reaction. I just didn't have that emotional attachment anymore. And of course, he was so much older than me. It's not that it was completely unexpected. Right. So it wasn't really a surprise or anything I was tore up about or anything like that. One last thing about about Playboy is it's strange now that the whole kind of the whole empire is done just by the way that technology has advanced to where magazines don't really exist. And there's, you know, I remember when I was a kid, you would, that's how you saw, you know, a naked lady was looking and now it's like, you know, you just Google it and there's a thousand millions of them. So I, I mean, how did that, did you see that coming? You mentioned that you were doing a lot of producing there. And did you kind of see how things were, were moving down the road? Yeah, it kind of happened in stages. I mean, like when porn became more accessible, both online and even like in VHS, where you could take it home in the 80s, you would see like the subscription kind of decline. But there was another side of Playboy too, as far as the pictorials went, besides just sexual. I think a lot of people like me, when I was younger, I like to look at it to see like, what does a pretty girl look like? And how are they doing their makeup? and Things like that. But I felt like even that mystique was stripped away with Instagram. 
because like you can see the most gorgeous women in the world just on Instagram. And it's so easy for anybody with their phone and their ring light and their remote and the Photoshopping and the face app, like anybody can make themselves look like that. But <laughs> back in the day, it was rare. Like I remember when I was a kid, like seeing the ads for Playboy subscriptions on late night TV, and they would show clips of the Playmate videos with like Anna Nicole Smith and Jenny McCarthy. And I'm just like, who are these unreal looking yes. human beings? Like people didn't look like that back then. Yeah. And like you said, it was hard to find, to find that, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, for sure. All right. So I'm like 10 and 0 when it comes to snagging the last delicious factor meal in my house before the new weekly delivery arrives. We all love factors ready to eat meals here in the Jericho household. They're fresh, never frozen, chef crafted and dietitian approved. And best of all, they're ready to eat in just two minutes. Eating better has never been easier or more delicious. There's over 35 different options to choose from every week, including calorie smart, protein plus and keto. So before I jumped on the plane to get the dynamite this week to wrestle Atlantis Jr., I had grilled steakhouse filet mignon with Parmesan cream, spinach and broccolini. Two minutes to heat it up ate it right out of the factory container, and then tossed it in the garbage. Fast, easy, and delicious. No prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. You can fuel up with Factor's restaurant-quality meals, too. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. You can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime, and Factor is less expensive than takeout. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash TIJ50. And use code TIJ50 to get 50% off. That's code TIJ50 at factormeals.com slash TIJ50 to get 50% off. Let's talk about your Vegas show. I mean, I find that very interesting. I remember when you had it, it Peep Show is what it was called. And it ran two, three, four years, something like that. How do you produce a Vegas show and how did this even come to be? I find that very interesting. Oh, that, that was a dream job for me because yeah. I'd always been a big fan of like Dita Von Teese and the Crazy Horse in Paris. I love burlesque. And initially I was going to do a guest spot in the Crazy Horse Paris, which was at the MGM Grand at the time for Girls Next Door. And then I ended up getting a different offer to do a show called Peep Show, which is was this really big budget burlesque show. It was fairy tale themed and everything about it I loved. And I feel so lucky to have been a part of it because it was really like the last show of its kind. I did it for four years. It was so much fun. It was like everything I wanted to do. So was it something that it was like a nightly show? Yeah, we would have like a day or two off a week, but it would run every night and some nights twice. So I would usually do like six or seven shows a week. How, how much rehearsal did you have to do for that? Quite a bit. I only had a couple of dance numbers in it because there would be all kinds of different dance numbers with different sorts of dancers. Sure. But for me, like I'm not, I never had dance lessons growing up or anything like that. So it wasn't a natural thing for me. So I had to rehearse really hard. You know, I'm not like a traditionally talented person. I think for me, it was more like people wanted to see me because they knew me from TV and I was really good at going out and promoting it. But that was just a dream job. It was so fun. And I've made so many lifelong friends in that show. It's just, I love it. It was a really special time for me. Like one of my favorite times in my life. Did you sing? I did actually after a while. <laughs> yeah, I took voice lessons and I sung a song that was kind of like this comedy number and I love doing it. And where, where did it run at? What was the hotel? It was at Planet Hollywood. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So then what was, what was the reason why you stopped doing it? I got pregnant. Ah, that's a good reason. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was the right time for me. It was the right time for me to start a family. And I'm just really grateful for how everything went down. Was it hard at first to, to date somebody else after dating Hef for so long? 
Yeah, I actually got into a relationship right after Hef that was kind of similar in some ways, just like a really controlling person. The relationship moved too fast. And but I feel like that was kind of like a gift from the universe because it showed me that that kind of behavior wasn't unique to just Hef. It wasn't just him. That was like a red flag I should be looking out for everywhere. So I'm lucky that happened as quickly as it did. And I was able to figure that out and move on. And after that, it was pretty smooth sailing. I met my ex-husband. We had a great relationship. We were divorced now, but we still co-parent and everything. And I've been in a relationship now for four years with a really great guy. So I feel like I learned my lessons when I needed to learn them. Once you finished Vegas, you did another reality show, Holly's World. Mm -hmm. Did you have more freedom? Did you enjoy that more? How did that go? I did. It was so much fun. It was a show I did with three of my best friends at the time. And it covered like me living life with my show in Vegas and other things we would go do. And that was fun. There was still a little bit of drama attached because it was the same producer who did Girls Next Door. And he had kind of like a weird controlling thing over the three of us and kind of like this weird sense of ownership and it, so it, there was some struggles that way. <laughs> right. So we were fighting a little bit on that sometimes. But overall, that was a great experience. And I love doing that show. What was the rules with, with half as far as like, if you wanted to have a drink or if you wanted to, you know, party a little bit, could you do that? 100,000%. He mm. encouraged that. Anything he thought would get somebody up into the bedroom, he was fine with. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so funny. Like, there'll never be a guy like that again. Like, you couldn't be that way in this day and age, you know? I think there's some people out there trying, though. Yeah. <laughs> <I do. laughs> um, let's talk more about some of your other uh, producer credits that you've had. I mean, we mentioned the Playboy murders. Mm -hmm. There was also the secrets of Playboy. Um, were you producing that or were you just involved with that? No, I was just interviewed for that. I was scared to do that one, actually, because I'd written a book about my experiences and I just felt like I didn't want to talk about it anymore. Like I'd already told my story, but I wanted to be involved just because I knew there were some other women coming forward who had similar stories to mine. And I know what it feels like to feel like you're the only one and nobody's backing you up. Mm. So I did that. And it was it was kind of stressful because you always get a lot of backlash for things like that. But I'm doing true crime now. I'm doing the Playboy murders. And I have another true crime show that's not Playboy specific called Lethally Blonde coming out in March. And I really enjoy the processes of diving deeper into those cases and learning more about them. And I love telling true stories. Mm -hmm. That's my favorite. It's interesting how you've been able to kind of build this whole empire one step at a time and trying a lot of different things, which is what I've built my career on. Of, of yeah. Yeah, Why wouldn't I want to do a true crime show? I mean, that sounds amazing, exactly. right? Yeah. What's uh, Le Lethally Blonde de dealing with? Lethally Blonde is another true crime show with varying different cases throughout the season. And it also involves people who come from really interesting lifestyles that you might not understand. I or be able to relate to, like I always say with these cases, like you'll be able to relate to someone in these cases, but their lifestyle is really intriguing. Like we have one that takes place in the gay porn industry. We have ones from the world of penthouse, just all kinds of different, like it involves like sex work or on the fringes of the entertainment industry. I just find that really fascinating. And they're things that I can kind of relate to a little bit. It's a really exciting series. I'm really excited to bring it to everybody. And that's the thing too, like you never did, uh, like you did uh, layouts for Playboy, but you were mm -hmm. never uh, the, the centerfold girl of the month, right? No, it was always like celebrity pictorials and covers. That's interesting. So, cause you would figure that most of the girls that live with half would be playmates of the month or whatever it would be. Yeah, we very much wanted to be playmates of the month, but I think he didn't want to give that to us because he'd given it to some other girls who'd kind of taken off right after. So that was kind of like the prize that was out of reach. Mm. But I think in the grand scheme of things, it's better to do like a celebrity pictorial with the cover and everything kind of a bigger deal. 
You know who's living large at my house? My three cats, Mr. Mittens, Indy, and Snickers. And you know why? Because we switched them to Pretty Litter. Okay, so it's really me and my wife and my daughters who are living large, thanks to Pretty Litter. Because Pretty Litter's ultra-absorbent crystals trap odor instantly, so no more bad cat smells in the bathroom. Pretty Litter crystals last up to a month, so less cat litter box cleaning for all of us, and less fighting about whose turn it is to clean the litter box. I gotta deal with this fight every single week between my daughters. This makes it so much easier. Pretty Litter also ships right to our front door, so no more last-minute mad scramble runs to the store because we're out of kitty litter. And Pretty Litter has another cool feature that makes life just a little easier. It helps us keep tabs on our cat's health. It changes colors so you can monitor early signs of potential illnesses like urinary tract infections and kidney issues. It's easily the best thing we've done for ourselves and our cats in a very long time. Like I said, Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. Those are two big wins in my house, meow. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. So go to prettylitter.com slash Jericho and use code Jericho to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash Jericho. Code Jericho to save 20%. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So kind of, I've never talked to anybody that's done a, you know, a Playboy layout before how, mm-hmm. how, do, how like give us the day how that works when you when you shoot oh my gosh well they didn't rely as heavily on photoshop as you would think right. as much as people do now so it was a lot of preparation like you would show up and you were supposed to wear like one of those zip up juicy track suits you couldn't wear anything tight so you couldn't have any lines on your body mm. and they'd have this like shimmery body lotion you had to use and you'd spend hours in hair and makeup and they would spend hours getting the lighting right. So you're not even shooting before lunch because there's just so much preparation that goes into getting that perfect shot. And they were just experts with photography and lighting and everything like that. It was really a process, like things we take for granted now, like the way we can make ourselves look in photos, like you had to do it really manually back then. (laughs) Yeah, but it was a fun experience. And I eventually went like behind the scenes and became an editor at Playboy and directed like two years worth of the Playmate shoots. And that was always super fun too. I love one of the things I loved the most about the studio was the set builders. They always had amazing set builders. There were two different ones during the time I was there. And you could be like, I want like a 1400s Bavarian pub, <laughs> like the girl was from Germany or something. And they'd have that for you the next day because they were so great. Well, it's such a classy vibe for Playboy, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, so there was always, sure. like you said, I can always, I can envision like hardwood floors or, yeah. Yeah, expansive totally. foilage or whatever you might want. Yeah. Right? So what, what does it mean when you say you were an editor for Playboy? Well, I started out on the show. I wanted to be an apprentice for the woman who was the editor. And what she would do is she would plan all the centerfold shoots, kind of pick the theme, decide everything down to like wardrobe and things like that. Oh, wow. Okay. And she ended up retiring. So I took over that job. So I didn't choose the Playmates, Hef did, but I would oversee like Playmate tests, help find people who are interested in posing. And we would kind of plan out, you know, how many redheads this year, how many blondes this year, things like that. And I would come up with the theme for the pictorial, the background, work with the stylist to get like the accessories. So it was so much fun. And, you know, the girls would always be flown in and they'd stay at the house. So we'd drive to work together in the morning and it was just always like a really fun process. So you would, you would map that out. Like, I think it was uh, like maybe two or three, maybe three pictorials per issue. Yeah. You the center, right. I worked on Playmate of the Month specifically, okay, though. I gotcha. didn't do like the celebrity ones. So, so it's 12 a year and mm-hmm. you map it out. Do you have like a certain, like there has to be two redheads and there has to be three blondes and a dark haired girl. And like, is that, did you have, to, or does it just go like month by month? Hef would have like a chart and each editor would have the same chart too, where the 
centerfolds would be printed out and you would kind of see like a visual calendar layout. So you could make sure you didn't have too much of the same look or too much of the same pose. Like you didn't want back-to-back centerfolds in the same pose or in the Mm -hmm. same type of setting. So you could really see that variety. I wanted to incorporate more diversity and we were starting to do that a little bit too with the models. Yeah. I mean, that's important as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. So what were some of your favorite um, sets that you designed? Uh, The Bavarian pub I mentioned was one of my favorites. We had a girl come out who was um, a playmate of the year and like the German edition. And her theme then was she was like the Oktoberfest playmate. So I did like this old German pub that I thought was really fun. And we shot at some cool like historic properties in Hollywood. There were some I never got to shoot at that I wanted to like the Soudan house where like the Black Dahlia oh, wow. murder supposedly happened. Like, I really wanted to do that one. But at the time, a psychic was renting the house and we had booked it. But at the last minute, she canceled because she said nudity would ruin her vibes. <laughs> I, <was> like, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Crazy psychic. I know. It's the most LA thing you've ever heard. <laughs> yeah, right. Messing with our shoot. Yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> and what else did you do behind the scenes? You said you editor and you said something else that you did? Um, that was just my job title was I was the playmate editor. So I helped come up with everything before we shot it. And then I would physically go through and edit the photos and narrow everything down. And then Hef would pick his favorites. Oh, so he was the one that would choose the photos that, that you guys used. Yeah, he would always make the final decisions on who was chosen for playmate, playmate of the year. And, you know, we would present him with a layout. And in each block of the layout, there'd be like three different pictures he could flip through and he'd always pick his favorite. Gotcha. As we start to wind down here, like when you were kind of starting to become, you know, famous yourself, did you get to meet some people that you were fans of and that sort of a thing from when you were growing up and being in the biz? Yeah, I remember one person I was excited to meet was Hunter S. Thompson, who oh, wrote wow. Loathing in Las Vegas. Yeah, sure. he was doing a book signing we went to. And he was very much, I don't know if it was an act, I don't know if that was really him, but he was very much like the character, like acting like the character you, you would think you would be from consuming his content. So that was pretty wild. Yeah, I kind of got desensitized to the celebrity thing, though, because you would just see so many people right. in and out and learn that not everybody's like the friendliest. So I kind of <laughs> lost that starstruck thing pretty early on after moving into the mansion but there's always interesting people coming in and out of there well because there was so much action going on there right yeah, like you mentioned they like, sure. seemed like there was a parties there i mean you mentioned every weekend that head would hold people are just mm-hmm. holding parties there all the time during the week as well right yeah he had five big parties he would throw throughout the year and his smaller things like the pool parties and the movie screenings and things like that but there would also be companies that would sometimes rent out the backyard and do big parties so there was kind of always something going on every week i remember when i was there he came out and just like just everyone was just like oh, like just gathering yeah. around him you know here he is right like the demigod of, of of la is here yeah it was really crazy did you have a relationship with his daughter at all I didn't know Christy well. She was running the company in Chicago. Of course, we crossed paths a few times and she was always so nice. And I always really admired the way she handled herself. And I always thought she had like the best speaking voice. And she was always so welcoming to us and just the nicest person. Do you know that we were in a movie together? Really? What movie? Sharknado 3. Oh, my God. Stop. I was in Sharknado 4. Oh, I thought you were in 3. No, I was in 4. Okay. Then we weren't in a movie together. Uh, <laughs> How did you die? I didn't die, actually. I was what? a sergeant in the military because I wanted to play against type. And I was just, <laughs> right. I delivered some line, like I told him where to go or something. <laughs> <laughs> did you die? Yeah, I got eaten on a roller coaster by a, oh. a flying shark that was on the roller coaster. That's intense. <laughs> yeah, it was quite intense. Well, last question for you. What's your favorite thing that you've done 
outside of, of, of your Playboy work, uh, movie-wise or television-wise or whatever it may be? I don't know if it's my favorite thing, but one thing that kind of popped to mind that I really had fun on was Dancing with the Stars. Oh, wow. I did that right after I left the mansion, and I always wanted to do it because I love the costumes so much. And it was just such a fun experience. Every week, you'd be given a new song and a new dance style. Sure. And you would pop into the wardrobe department, which was right there at CBS, and Randall, the guy who made the costumes, would just like whip something up that was really sparkly and amazing. And I bought all my costumes when I left because they give you that option. You can buy them if you want. Right. And I just had so much fun on the show. It was like the workout of my life. I had like the best abs and it was so much fun. And it was just like the perfect thing for that time in my life because back I did it in 2009 and back then it would get like 25 million people watching it. So sure. if you wanted to like relaunch something in your career or start something, it was the best publicity. And that was right before I went into my Vegas show. So it was like the perfect thing to like tee that up. I um did that show in season 12. Actually, Kendra was on the show when I did it. Oh, I came and watched one of those. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it, like you said, though, it's such a, a process. Like you think like, okay, this should be fun, but you don't realize how much time you have to put into it, like eight hours a day of rehearsing, you know, and you have to put in that time. It's like training for an Olympic sport. Like people don't realize. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> it like, really is. And like you said, then, then there's the costumes and then you got you to pick the song and then all of that stuff. Cause it's such, it's, and then it's live as well. There's so much pageantry to it, you know? Totally. Who is your partner? His name was Dimitri and he was great. He showed up, he came to my show in Vegas too. And I remember it was his first year and I actually got put in at the last minute because I'd been telling Dancing with the Stars I really wanted to do it. And they didn't want to use me because they thought Middle America wouldn't accept someone who had <laughs> dated Hugh Hefner. Right. But they had somebody before the season started got sick at the last minute. So they plugged me in and it was Dimitri's first season and he's dealing with this girl who can't dance, but they gave him Maya next season and she's a good dancer. So I think they did that to like make <laughs> up for me, but we had a blast. But that's the idea though. You're not supposed to be able to dance. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Sometimes people sneak in that can, but yeah. And it's like, that's almost like cheating. Like you're supposed to, it's the journey of learning how the, the pageantry and your, your angles of putting the, the finger down and all that different stuff, you know, all, Absolutely. That, that's how you learn to get better. Huh? Last question for you. What was, what was, would you have a favorite memory of, of, of Hef? I think for me, it was probably just like the bond we shared over old movies. Like he's not somebody I think about much, right. except when like a new movie comes out that I know he would have really loved. I always think, oh, it's too bad he didn't get to see this. Mm -hmm. Like I thought that when The Shape of Water came out right after he died, I know he would have loved that movie for so many reasons. So I always feel like, oh, too bad he didn't get to see that. What movies did you guys like that you watched? The older ones? A lot of classic films I loved. I always grew up loving Marilyn Monroe films. So we loved those and a lot of the old comedies and a lot of the things from the 30s, like the Betty Grable, Alice Faye oh, wow. comedies. Yeah. Well, Holly, it's been great talking to you and look forward to seeing what else you come up with during your, uh, during your career. Thank you. So great talking to you. 